Kia ora koutou. I'm called Fiona Tōku Ingoa. I have never spoken at Blueprint before, so I'm a little bit nervous, but we'll see how we go. So, um, the passage that I'm going to be speaking about today is from Luke. Um, it's up there. Hopefully it's not too tiny. Uh, it's from Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, Man shall not live, oh, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Um, and Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Yes, it's working. Okay. Um, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So this is probably a familiar passage to many of us um, where Jesus is tempted uh, by the devil. Um, for a little bit of context, this happens early in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and he, this happens straight after Jesus has been baptised by John. Um, so it's before he starts his ministry, but after he's been baptised. And the devil tempts Jesus to abandon his fast. Um, to seize worldly prestige and power and to question God's faithfulness to him. Um, and Jesus responds to these three temptations by quoting scripture. And something that I learned as I prepared for this talk is that the, the three replies that Jesus gives are all from the same passage. They're all from a sermon that Moses gives in Deuteronomy to the Israelites um, at the end of their 40 years in the wilderness. So there's some obvious parallels that I think we're invited to draw. Um, and I was especially interested in Jesus' final rebuttal when he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And this is what my talk is going to focus on, is on this, um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting concept. And um, as we look at the difference between how the Israelites responded in the wilderness and how Jesus responded in the wilderness, I think there's a lot to um, learn in that. Um, so... Jesus versus the Israelites. Um, I'm going to just have a little side-by-side -side, um, for a couple of slides comparing the Israelites to Jesus. So before their time in the wilderness, um, both the Israelites and Jesus have had this like incredible encounter with God. So the Israelites have just been freed from slavery after 430 years of being enslaved by the Egyptians. So generations upon generations have been enslaved. Um, and God sends plagues upon Egypt. Um, you know, the Pharaoh says, fine, you can go, and then changes his mind, so sends chariots after them. God parts the Red Sea. 
um, <laughs> lets them go through there and brings the, brings down the sea on the Egyptians. So completely, you know, miraculous things happen to get the the, um, the Israelites out of there. Um, the... I think it's, this is just like really tangible, miraculous proof of God's love for the Israelites before their time in the wilderness. Um, similarly, Jesus was baptized um, right before his time in the wilderness, and he also had a really clear encounter with God where um, as, as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove. Um, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. These are two unmistakable instances of God's presence, love, concern with the Israelites and with Jesus. And then straight after these incredible experiences, they're in the wilderness. They're, they're kind of out on a limb. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it's really interesting that right before this time of sort of deprivation and suffering, they've had this incredible experience. Um, <clears throat> similarly, after, so they are heading towards a promise. This is really small, sorry, um, but I'll just read it. So there's been a, God has made a promise to the Israelites. He's already come through on the first part of the promise and he's leading them to the promised land. Um, so this is what God says to Moses. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of, from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So on either side of this wilderness, on one side there's this incredible encounter with God, on the other side is this incredible promise from God, and the wilderness is in the middle. And um, same, a similar thing um, I want to think about is with Jesus, is because he, there were so many promises. Jesus was a literal embodiment of prophecy, um, and he will, you know, Mary was told, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So the Israelites have been promised the promised land and Jesus is promised eternal glory. Um, and yet, here they are in the desert, in the wilderness. God feels less present to them in that time. Um, this is what the devil is really trying to um, insinuate, I think, with Jesus. When, when he's tempting Jesus, he's trying to just seed those little, uh, sow those little seeds of doubt that God is actually not pleased with him anymore or that God is actually not that interested in him anymore. Um, and when the Israelites, um, when they... Uh, are in the wilderness and they feel vulnerable, they they forget straight away, basically. They forget that um, that God has already come through on all these promises already and that he is leading them towards um, the promised land. 
When the Israelites are thirsty, they grumbled against Moses. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Is the Lord among us or not? This is interesting because they are literally following a pillar of cloud and fire sent by God for 40 years, um, which leads them where they need to go. They have also been subsisting on quail and manna that has rained down from the sky. And yet, when they are thirsty, they doubt that God was ever there. And I think it's really interesting and really, I think it's a really easy trap to fall into where, you know, we can just ignore all, of the, all evidence that God has helped us and is so present and is so concerned with, with our well-being when we face adversity. Um, <clears throat> so instead of holding on to God's promises for their future, they focus on the present and are overwhelmed by the present. When they say, is the Lord among us or not, they're saying, is God even here? And is God even good? The devil tries to tap into Jesus' vulnerability as well. Um, after 40 days, Jesus is hungry, obviously, but they, they make a point of saying that. I imagine he's also um, dirty, um, lonely, probably bored. You know, these are all things that make us vulnerable. Um, and it's a far cry from 40 days earlier when God had unambiguously proclaimed that Jesus was his beloved son. I think there would have been a real temptation for Jesus to wonder, as the Israelites did, why he is in the wilderness. Why is he there? What is the point? Um, and Satan suggests that Jesus proved that God is still with him by jumping off a temple. He says, if God is truly pleased with you, if you are truly God's son, he will send angels to protect you from injury. But Jesus ignores this temptation course because he's Jesus but um, um, he quotes Moses and says it is said do not put the Lord your God to the test which is what um, which is what they did when they said is the Lord among us or not Jesus doesn't need to prove to himself or to the devil or to anyone that God is with him because he knows that he is he knows that God is the same yesterday today and forever he knows that God um, God had come through for him in the past and that he will come through for him in the future and that in this period of suffering, that doesn't change. I think it's... Um, put the, the phrase putting God to the test is really interesting. I, th- I sort of, before I looked into this deeply to prepare this talk, I didn't really understand what it meant. Um, but I think essentially putting God to the test is when we question God's goodness or when we question that God is with us. Um, it's not, just to clarify, um, it's not asking for stuff. It's not, it's not praying. It's not, it's not um, asking God to fulfill the deepest desires of our hearts. That is, that is not putting God to the test. Putting God to the test is when we are so overwhelmed by the present that we forget God's works of the past and promises for the future and we demand that he prove that he is still trustworthy. Um, when I was younger, at, when I was um, at school, I played soccer uh, for 11 years 
and I started playing when I was seven. And when I first communicated to my mum that I wanted to play soccer, my school didn't have a team. So she managed to pull some strings and got me onto a soccer team of another school um, where I didn't know any of the kids, but that was cool. And then the next year, mum signed up to be a manager, like a soccer team manager at my primary school um, so that I could play for my school. And then she, and to be clear, my mum has never played soccer. She's not interested in soccer, but she knew that I wanted to play. So, yeah, so, and she supported me in this really tangible way and got, got me into the sport. Um, and I continued playing all through high school. Um, and um, as well as this, my nana, my mum's mum, hated the fact that I played soccer, thought it was a boy sport and would bring up constantly... She'd, every time I saw her, she'd say, are you still playing soccer? And then I'd say, yes. And then, and mum would defend me and say, I'll just ignore Nana, she's old-fashioned. So, you know, there was, there was, so, <laughs> there was so much support from my mum to play soccer. Not only did she support me against family disagreement, um, but she also, you know, came to game upon game upon game. And I grew up in Hamilton. I don't know if you know, but Waikato winters are grim and they're like freezing um, and raining all the time and often so foggy you can't see the goalposts at the far end of the field. So, yeah, not a great spectator sport. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> mum came along. <laughs> she came and watched me. Um, and, you know, she would stand there freezing on the sidelines and would support me playing soccer. Um, now, when I was... 16 or 17, so I'd been playing for about 10 years at this point. I was playing and I scored a goal and my mum didn't see because she was talking to another parent. And I was so angry with her because I felt so unsupported. I was like, why did you even come? Why would you even come to my games if you're not going to watch me? I was so petulant. But, you know, I just, in that moment, I disregarded, like, so much evidence that my mum supported me playing soccer because she wasn't watching me for five seconds, you know? And I think it's, it's really easy to do a similar thing with God, where we have so much evidence in our past of God being present and being with us and fighting for us, and still, at, the, at a hint of adversity, thinking, well, what's even the point? Where even are you, God? And I don't, I don't say this to make anyone feel bad. I think if you are, if you are in... The wilderness and you are struggling to find God or hear God or sense God, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty about that. But I'm, I, I would like to encourage you to think back on where God has been really present in your past. What is something tangible you can hold on to that you know is indisputably God in your past that, that you can remind yourself of? Um... I think it's really easy to think, to fall into the same trap as the Israelites, or me with my mum and soccer. Um, you know, a loving God wouldn't let me suffer. Or if things get better, then I'll know that God is there. If mum saw me score the goal, I know she cares about my soccer journey, I don't know. But, um, you know, I think it's, yeah, it is really easy to fall into that trap. And Especially when we consider the Israelites. The Israelites literally had a pillar of cloud and fire in front of them and they still doubted God was there. 
you know, and we don't have that pillar. So it's even easier for us, you know, to, to doubt that. As well as looking back on um, what, where God has been for us in the past, I think it's important to look forward to the promises God has for us as well. Um, there are over 7,000 biblical promises, um, which I have not put on the next slide, <laughs> but um, I've put four of them on. <laughs> so just, yep, four out of 7,000 is a good start. So God is always with us. God is kind and compassionate. God will always love us no matter what. And God will strengthen and help us. These are four really key promises in the Bible. Um, as well as that, I think a lot of us get um, promises from God, not through the Bible, through prophecy, through prayer. Um, and these things are all super valuable as well and important to hold on to when we are in those wilderness spaces. Um I think it's, it is really good to know scripture. Jesus responds with scripture and then Satan leaves him alone for a while, you know? Like, that's quite cool. That, um, and I think it's a, it's a good, um, like, as people of faith, we should be familiar with the Bible. Um, obviously, Jesus was, like, quite high up there probably in a scriptural knowledge, but, but, I, do, but I do encourage you to... Um, yeah, to, to, to find these things that, that speak to you. They may not be these promises, but they may, you know, find something that speaks to you. Put it somewhere where you can see it every day. Put it on your mirror or in your car or, I don't know, somewhere um, where you can be reminded of that promise on a regular basis. So that, yeah, when you're having a bad day or a bad week or a bad year, that promise is still at the forefront. Um, one final story is um, I a few years ago I was having a bad time and I went to Makara Beach just to like have a bit of a cry at God and um, found I, w I was sitting on a log and I looked down and there was just obviously Makara Beach is covered with stones right <laughs> but there was this really cool stone right next to me and I picked it up and it just fit perfectly in my hand and I had this overwhelming like sensation of like, God formed this stone millions of years ago, probably. And it, he knew when it got chipped off that boulder, he saw it tumble through the streams to get smooth. He made it just the right size for me to pick up that day. And that stone often sits on my bedside table as just a reminder that actually, like, even when things are really terrible, um, God... God is bigger than all that and and he sends us reminders in a little yeah whether it's in a verse or a promise or something tangible like a stone God reassures us of his presence in all sorts of ways if we just look for it um so my final slide is these two questions which I'm not sure if um because I haven't been here for a while I'm not sure if you guys want to talk to the person next to you or if you just want to like muse yourself I'm not sure maybe Rose can decide um but where where has God worked tangibly in your life in the past and what promises can you hold on to when you face adversity in the future um so that when we are in those wilderness spaces um we can hold on to our faith and and know that God is still with us